Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. How are you today, Jeff? I am doing great. It's a beautiful day in Seattle. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, spring is sprung and, uh, oh wait, I'm still in my house. Oh, we're yeah, all still in our houses. House. We're all still home. No, no, it's it, it it it's good. We've we've been talking about you know coronavirus uh, on our last two episodes now, um, but uh, I have to say, at least being in Seattle when we first brought this up, Seattle was like uh, the hot spot in North America, and right now, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, all of that, um, Seattle and California, we are now like the models because. We've been doing the shelter in place for so long, and so the the, the curve is flattening out. So, um, yeah, I, like strangely optimistic, even though, uh, you know, all the talk about oh well now everything's fine, let's get back into regular yeah. normal, like 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 that's all garbage. Yeah. But um, you know, I think all things considered. Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Good. You've also got a new book out, and we're going to talk about that in the second half of the show, aren't we? That's another reason why I'm great, because my book is out. <laughs> and you've even got another book coming out soon, but it's not a photography-related book. We'll talk about both of them later. Yeah, yeah. You're just, you're just like the book guy all of a sudden. It's it's funny how these things overlap. I mean, literally one project uh, had been in progress for like uh, over a year, and the other one was just uh, over the last, you know, uh, month or so, but it, it's work. It, it's it's good to be busy, and um, if there's stuff that I can release and people can read, that's great. Okay, so, so this week we want to start by talking about using manual focus lenses on fancy modern cameras. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now we both use Fujifilm XT3s, and we get Fujifilm lenses, and we screw them on, and you press the little button a bit, and it goes vroom, vroom, and it focuses. <laughs> And boom, you're all set. Um, but some people may want to choose to do this the old-fashioned way with a lens that doesn't have electronics in it and turn the thing by hand in order to get the focus. Now, of course, you can manually focus with an autofocus lens. You can just turn off the autofocus. Or you can use a manual focus autofocus. So you press and hold the shutter, you autofocus, then you turn the focus ring to focus in or out a bit. And you may want to do this to focus on, say, a specific item, but then you want to pull back to get something else as your main focus. There are some reasons to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I find it interesting. If I'm shooting flowers, for example, uh, where you have a big, a relatively large depth of field between the fronts of the petals and the pistols and the insides of the flowers, so the autofocus doesn't always get the spot that I want to have in focus. Um, so there I use autofocus and manual or um, the flower photos that I shot last year in my office, all those photos against the black background. I did all those in manual focus um, because it was just easier. Um, my camera was on a tripod. Um, I didn't want to have to worry about deciding. So I would just look through and spin it. But of course, I could have used cheaper lenses to do that, couldn't I? Uh, you could have. Well, and also, most importantly, you did not have any wind in your office. That's yes. the thing that always gets me with shooting flowers. You know, strangely enough, they're in the wild and there's wind and things move. And especially if you're trying to shoot manual focus, uh, you know, having things move, like you have to adapt to it. Um, it. It's funny because I think, you know, 
I'll have to d- defer to you for your historical knowledge because, uh, you know, autofocus, I think, in photography is a fairly new thing. I mean, if if we were shooting in the, what, 1950s? And again, my, my, my history on these types of things is not nearly as good. But if you wanted to focus on things, of course, you had to manual, manually focus everything. But nowadays, you know, I come from the point of view where I expect good autofocus on my lenses and I, and I rely on it. And to, to think about like shooting on a manual focus lens, a manual only lens, seems counterintuitive to me. But there are certainly circumstances where that's either your only option, that's the affordable option, or one of the things we're going to talk about, that is kind of the hack together option. Well, I think there are still some people who like, it's kind of like listening to vinyl records. They want to have that nostalgic feeling. So they turn off everything and they do it manually. And actually it's a really good learning experience. I think when you're learning about focus, you're learning about depth of field. Um, assuming you have a camera with a live view where you can see that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's really good to be able to see that difference. Uh, But the first autofocus camera, uh, I don't know if you've looked this up. Do you remember when they date from? I I don't. I don't. That just uh, popped into my head. And of course, it would have been good for me to think of that ahead of time. Well, you see, I looked it up. I do. There you go. Um, So the first um, autofocus single lens reflex camera was the Polaroid SX-70 Sonar One-Step. And that was 1978. Now, that was... The real, that was the Polaroid SX-70. When it came out in 1978, that was the big deal. The one with the sort of faux leather that folded up. Um, and it became, it was a huge thing back then. Um, you would see them in New York, people outside with them. And it was kind of funny because it was a funky looking thing. It had a weird shape, but it really, it had a, a certain amount of popularity. And, you know, the, the shape of the pictures that came out, um, with the the bottom that was that was taller, right? Because mm-hmm. that's where the chemicals were. And I remember I knew someone who had it, and you could do this really cool thing. If you rubbed your fingers on a picture while it was developing, you'd get these really funny blurs. Uh-huh. Um, one of Peter Gabriel's early albums has a cover that was done like that. Oh, interesting. Um, so, so it was like a technique that people played with. Um, the Pentax MEF had focus centers in the body and a motorized lens. So that was the first autofocus 35mm SLR camera in 1981. Nikon released one in 1983, and then Minolta in 1985. So autofocus does go back quite a way, but I think it took a long, long, long time to be as precise and as flexible as as it is now. I mean, we've got these things where it, it grabs someone's eyes and it follows them around. Yeah. You know, you see these videos presenting autofocus, like someone doing a motorcycle on a racetrack and with the little squares. It's really quite amazing. It is. It it really is. And and I think that's that's partially, you know, the direction that I come to it, which is, all right, you know, here I have this little computer in my hands and it's doing a lot of stuff for me. And so I don't really think about focus unless you know, it misses focus or I need to change uh, you know, my focus setting if I'm trying to do something more active or move the, the focus point, all of those things. And so to go from that where I just sort of assume that the camera is going to be doing all this work for me to deliberately shooting in manual, it's 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 definitely a shift. Um, but so the reason that that we're bringing this up uh, when we were talking about topics, 
I used to shoot on a Nikon D90, and I had, I want to say, four or five Nikon lenses. And when I decided to move over to mirrorless and go with Fuji, I eventually sold all of my lenses. Um, it, we actually have an episode where we were talking about selling equipment. We'll link to that in the show notes. So I sold all my lenses except for one. Uh, I had bought a Tamron 28 to 75 millimeter um, macro lens. I don't own a macro lens, and I figured since I don't do a lot of macro photography, I'll hold on to this and and you know get an adapter or something. Uh, it, it turned out that it was not a very expensive lens, and something happened with its autofocus where um, on the Nikon, like like it wouldn't quite hit exactly, and. So I didn't really feel good about selling it to somebody who would be using that. So I was like, okay, I can hold on to this. I'll look into getting an inexpensive adapter. And so the one that I ended up with is this Photodiox Pro. It's basically a Nikon G mount to Fuji X mount adapter. And what that means is because, of course, the camera companies, they make the actual hardware mounts separate uh, from each other. And so, you know, I you can't just take a Nikon lens and stick it onto a Fuji. So you need something that's going to bridge that, that gap, which is great, but it introduces a couple of things. One, um, it does not do the autofocus. And so... By definition now, this is a manual focus lens. Even though it has autofocus uh, mechanics in it and software in it, it 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 can't talk to my Fuji. Um, plus, you also have issues of, um, you know, it's, it's introducing uh, space and distance between the lens and your sensor. And so it has to compensate for that. And then there's also the issue... Of um, some of these will let you change the aperture a little bit, but you know, in in the case of, of of this lens, when I take any picture of it, there's nothing in the lens that's talking to the camera to pass along things such as aperture. So all the images that I shoot with this say that the aperture is zero, um, which is wide open. That's pretty fast, yeah. <laughs> it's a super fast lens. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, the, the, there are, are trade-offs, uh, but it also means that rather than me going and spending several hundred dollars for a macro lens made by Fuji, which I would consider doing if I was doing more macro type photography, but um, now I spent, uh, I want to say I spent like maybe $60 for this adapter. And this particular adapter is actually like the Photo Deox Pro. Uh, which means that it has a little bit of aperture control on the the mount itself. You can spend less and get um, some that that really are designed just to make the two pieces connect. One thing to bear in mind: your photos don't say what the aperture was. It doesn't say what the shutter speed was. It wasn't doesn't say what lens it was. It doesn't have any EXIF data at all. It'll have the name of the camera, um, but that's about it. But one of the problems is that if you're shooting a lens that's, say, very wide, um, you won't be able to benefit from the correction of lens distortion in software unless you can specify 
in the software. Maybe you can in Lightroom apply this lens profile to this photo because I know it was shot with this lens. When mm -hmm. you're doing it with EXIF data in the lens, um, any app that can do that sort of um, distortion correction will do it automatically. And by the way, Apple's Photos app does distortion correction as well. Uh, they just don't tell you about it. Um, mm -hmm. You'll find that if you have a lens, um, if you were to compare a photo uncorrected in Lightroom or another app and compare it in the Photos app, you'll see that the Photos app is already corrected. You don't have the option to uncorrect it. Um, and this correction is distortion, but it's also vignetting. It's also chromatic aberration. So it can make a big difference. And, and basically what's happening is that your third-party lens may give you substandard performance, but a lot of the lenses you can get like this, I mean, your macro lens is a special case because it's you had it, it was broken, et cetera. You can get lenses that are less than 50 bucks, the Chinese brands. Um, and a lot of Fuji people that I see in forums seem to like these lenses. Um, I tried one and it was crap and I sent it back to Amazon. <laughs> um, but my my thought is I've got a 23 or a 35 millimeter lens, right, for my camera. And I wanted to try another one, just one of these cheap ones to see what it was like. Mm -hmm. If I've already got the lens, the only reason to buy a cheap one is because I can't afford the better one. I'd rather spend a little bit money on the better one and have all of the things that go with autofocus, exit data, lens correction, et cetera, um, than just be cheap and have a cheap lens because the people you hang out with on forums like the cheap lens and it's hip to have the cheap <laughs> lens. Because sometimes it feels like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it does. Well, I, th I think, you know, at least for me, um, there have been a few times when I've been tempted to, uh, again, get a less expensive lens uh, that mostly like, like for me, like right now I don't have any lenses that are faster than F 2.8, um, which, you know, but do is, you need lenses faster than F 2.8? Well, you probably see, have some F twos, don't you? I actually don't have any F twos right now. You don't have any of the Fuji. No. Um, what, what's, what do they call those lenses? The Fuji crons? The Fuji crons. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually don't right now. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I've been sorely tempted, but, uh, w what you just asked me was sort of the key thing where it's like, well, you know, d do you need that? Uh, do you need a lens that is F 1.4 or F 1.8? And, you know, there are certain times when it would be nice to have that, nah. but again, nah. you don't need it. But do I need to go and spend six hundred, eight hundred, a thousand dollars for it? Exactly. Maybe not. That's the thing. So the, the the Fuji, what we call the Fuji Crons, or what they call the Fuji Crons, um, they're they're making a neologism uh, combined with Fuji and Summicron, which is a series of Leica mm -hmm. lenses, the more affordable Leica lenses. Um, and you've got the sixteen, twenty three, thirty five, and fifty millimeter lenses. Uh, the sixteen is very recent. Uh, it's a 2.8, and the other three are F2. They're very small. They're very light. They're really affordable um, as lenses go. They're a few hundred dollars or a few hundred pounds, but that's not a lot for the quality of the lenses that you get. Um, if you want to buy an F1.4 or whatever of the 23 or 35, it's going to cost twice as much, if not more. It's going to weigh twice as much. It's twice as big. Mm -hmm. Now, you may actually need this for some things, but I mean, sure. pump up the ISO. <laughs> if you just well, need an extra stop, just use the ISO. 
you don't necessarily need that background blur. Well, see, see, I've I've rented. So Fuji has a, a beautiful. It's a, a fifty-six millimeter f one point two, and I, I've rented that before and shot portraits with it, and it, it's a fantastic lens. It's a thousand dollars, and I would imagine, you know, for for what you get, that is a a pretty good deal. It's still a thousand bucks, thousand bucks that I don't currently have to spend on a lens. So that's why I've been tempted. Well, maybe I'll get one of these others that have a Fuji mount uh, that is, you know, a 1.4 lens that's only going to be like $300 or $400. And so you do that calculation and part of the calculation is, okay, is it going to be as high quality as you want? Probably not, but could it be, you know, good enough, possibly? But then again, uh, it's going to be a manual focus lens. Uh, part of that is due to Fuji. Um, Fuji traditionally they have not opened up their their specs for doing autofocus to third parties because. But in an interview today on DP yes. Review, they said that they have. This is news. That that they have, or they are about to. That they have. There are already some lenses announced from Tokina that will offer autofocus, although the article on DP Review says that this detail is missing in the press release. But it says this means that Fujifilm is making its mount protocols available for licensing from third parties, which theoretically opens up the possibility of compatible optics from the likes of Sigma and Tamron yeah. at some point in the future. Yeah, so so it's it's something that's currently happening. There's nothing you can buy right now from a third party that would take advantage of this. So this is all stuff that's coming up, which is which is great. Are uh, you in a hurry? I'm not in a hurry, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think these days we can wait for a new lens. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, like up until now, that hasn't really been an option. So if you want a, like a really inexpensive uh, lens with a faster aperture, you would have to go for something that was manual focus. Right, but the quality is going to be lower in many cases. But the quality is going to be lower. So, you know, as we've talked about before with photography, like there's all sorts of different trade-offs. Maybe the lower quality either is, as you said, sort of uh, more of a vintage look that you're looking for, um, or, you know, you just don't have the money to go all out, but you want to experiment with this stuff. And so that's great. One other example is a lens baby lens. Um, so oh, I yeah. bought one of these last year, you know, the thing where when you focus tight, it gets all frosty and blurry. And I really haven't explored it that much, but it is definitely a manual focus lens. You have no choice. These are actually hard to focus because you need to focus with your aperture closed down a bit because otherwise it's too blurry to see. But yeah. then you open your aperture and it's blurry and you don't know where your focus point is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that, um, you know, veers more into the, okay, now you're going to do something that's more creative. And, uh, you know, because these cameras are computers and they are really designed to look at a scene and try to make the best picture from it. And so when you start using things that, that aren't what the camera expects, it's going to involve more work, but that is under the assumption that, you know, you're there to do that work. Like you want to deal with those limitations and you're being creative. You're looking for some other different look rather than just accurately recording what's in front of you. Okay. Um, let's talk about your book. 
Let's talk about it. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. Oh, let's take a break and put our music on that we put on when we have sponsors. And we don't have sponsors because, to be quite honest, we've been kind of busy and we haven't had time to look for sponsors. So if you want to sponsor the Photoactive Podcast, drop us a line. Okay, Jeff, you gave birth to a new book recently, 258 pages, The Photographer's Guide to Luminar 4. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's funny. Uh, you and I have written many books in our careers, and there are some books that are, you know, that are great. There are some books that are sort of more, um, what's a good term, like like workmanlike, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, you churn them out. Yeah. It, 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 it's a good experience. But, you know, it, it's it pays the bills, whatever, whatever. Um, and then there are some books that either were very difficult or they just sort of mean something special. And um, for me, this is one of those books. And I know, you know, oh, wait a minute. He has a brand new book out. Of course, it's something special because <laughs> I want everybody to buy my book, you know. Yeah, but, but I, I know what you mean. I've, I've written several dozen books, both in print and ebooks, And mm -hmm. sometimes you're just glad to get it over with. And sometimes you feel that you've really accomplished something. Yes, yes, exactly. And so uh, especially with this book, this is a book um, like I almost don't even want to say this because it's embarrassing. Uh when I signed the contract to do this book, it was two years ago, um, looking at, I think, Luminar 2018. They hadn't even released Luminar 3 yet. Um, and, you know, as book projects go, it was going to be done, you know, in X number of months and out in the market, whatever. And yet this was a project that uh, for, you know, various reasons over that time got kicked back or got, uh, you know, things unexpectedly changed. I mean, I don't know. I I apologize to our listeners who are like, I, I don't really care about writing books. But one of the interesting things about this project was uh, just the, the timing of it turned out, for example, uh, so it, I did this with Rocky Nook. Our, our, our friends at Rocky Nook uh, published this. And uh, I had written a, a fairly sizable chunk of the book that covered Luminar 3. And Luminar 3 and, and the previous edition or previous version had been, you know, pretty consistent and they were just adding new features. And so we had a schedule where uh, the book was going to come out, uh, I want to say, November of 2019. And so, you know, I was like, aggressive, we're going to hit these deadlines. This is going to this is going to happen. And then we found out uh, from Skylum. Uh, because fortunately, Rocky Nook and Skylum, uh, they they basically signed a deal to sort of say, okay, we're going to communicate. Uh, found out from Skylum, they're like, hey, you guys know that Luminar 4 is coming, right? And we're like, um, no, tell us more. And so it turned out that Luminar 4 is quite a bit different than Luminar 3. And that basically... So, so let, me just, let me just jump in. Yeah, so yeah, if please. If you do have Luminar 3... Um, definitely look to the update. We'll have a link in the show notes to an episode we did about Luminar 4. Yeah. Um, it is quite different. And even though I don't use the app, um, the, the AI stuff and and all of the, the new tools uh, really make a huge difference. So if you are using the older version, spend the money and get the upgrade and get the book. 
Yes, yes, definitely. It's, I mean, it, it's one of those things where I was actually sort of uh, uh, trepidatious about the new version, not only because I had to, uh, you know, basically revamp a whole lot of work that I had done. I had to throw out a lot of, of what I had already written, reshuffle things. But, you know, that's all kind of inside baseball. The the important part of this is actually what I like about Luminar 4 is they cleaned it up a lot. So Luminar 3 had this system where you had workspaces and you had all the tools were different filters and you could mix and match things. And it was like super flexible, but it was also really complicated. And Luminar 4, I think they did a really good job of going in and saying, okay, this is just a layer of complication that people don't need, especially people who are not accomplished or experienced photo editors because they want to appeal to people who don't you know do a lot of photo editing they want to uh, appeal to people who who are learning this and so luminar 4 it's now just a lot cleaner the uh the, the new ai stuff that they put a lot of work into has some really impressive uh capabilities that it can do uh, i'll put a link in the show notes i did a webinar uh, with Rocky Nook and demonstrated a few of, of the AI things. Um, and that that's available now for a replay. I'll put that in the show notes just to, to see what it does. Okay. Um, it's, it's worth pointing out that this book is full of photos of your wife and daughter in coffee cups. What? Um, so people who know you will not be there? surprised seeing <laughs> some of the photos. And actually, there's a few photos um, in here that we've already seen in show notes for the podcast. Do you mention the podcast in the book, Jeff? Uh, yes, I'm sure I do. Good. Okay. And also, we're going to have a couple of copies that we're going to give away to subscribers to our mailing list. So if you go to photoactive.co, that's photoactive.co, and sign up for our mailing list, you might win a copy of the book. If you're already signed up, don't worry. You'll be entered in the drawing. Um, the drawing is Jeff asking Siri for random numbers based on the number of people in the mailing okay. list, and maybe you'll win a copy of the book. Yeah. Oh, I, I should also point out that uh, right now uh, the ebook is available. You can purchase that and buy it now. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it from uh, uh, Apple Books, the Apple Bookstore. Um, and there's also... You can get it from Rocky Nook directly. If you get it from Rocky Nook directly and you use the code Carlson40, C A R L S O N 40, then you get 40% off. Dude. Dude, I that's know. That's a great deal. I know. And so so that's that's for the ebook. The print book is still forthcoming. It's being printed, and uh, I believe it's being printed overseas in Korea, I think. So, um, the the print version is not going to arrive. I think the last estimate that I heard was June. So um, you know it it takes a lot of work to assemble bits into <laughs> pages it, and ink and, yeah. and and ship it and distribute it and and I honestly have no idea how that's going to be affected by coronavirus and everything like that. But um, the ebook is available now. It looks great. I'm going to just sort of say this because. When I write books, I do all the layout. And so I just want to put out, like, I put a lot of work into trying to make these images uh, look good and be clear and understandable. Um, the, there are a couple of chapters that are just specifically walkthroughs. So I take a photo and just explain everything that I've done rather than sort of 
a typical approach that it's just like, well, okay, here's, you know, here's a tool and here's how it works. Like that stuff's in there too, but I also wanted to have like some very specific, okay, here's a picture of, uh, you know, a man's portrait and it's underexposed. What are we going to do with it? And it steps through that. Okay. So everyone, okay. Photographer's Guide to Luminar 4, um, buy it so Jeff can afford to put food on his table. Yes. yes. We all depend on this. Time for our snapshots? Let's do snapshots. Have you got a snapshot this week? I do. Do you have so a snapshot? Excellent. I do. Okay. This is great. <laughs> we're doing good this week. We're, we're laughing because sometimes we come and we don't necessarily have snapshots, or I don't necessarily have a snapshot. Jeff really generally does plan a little bit better than me, but mm -hmm. go ahead. Well, I plan a couple of minutes before we get on our Skype call. Right. Um, so so my, my snapshot is, is actually sort of general. Um, I will find a, a good link to put in the show notes. But basically, one of the things that I did this week as part of um, uh, another book project, I needed to do a little bit of product photography. And so I could have set up a big, uh, you know, setup in my house, and I, I just didn't really have the time or, or the desire. And so I basically took um, the reflector that I mentioned in a previous episode uh, that has a, a, a black back on it. And I used that as a background and I needed something to hold it up uh, because I, I do not have uh, assistance. <laughs> and so um, basically what my snapshot is, is you know that you can get light stands and I, I have a pair of light stands, but you can also get basically little boom arms that connect to the light stands. And the one that I have, uh, it, it came in a kit that had uh, two light stands and, and this boom arm, and it's got like clamps and things on it. And basically it, it's just this great way of holding up um, kind of anything you wanna have draped behind something. So in this case, literally it's just this little cross piece that screws into all the little, you know, knobs and things that, that you can put on a light stand and uh, just holds things in place. I find it's been very useful. They're not very expensive. And actually at Amazon, you can buy, you know, these, these sets. Um, you can spend a lot of money on this sort of thing if you want, but, um, you know, I think for less than a hundred dollars, you can get a set of light stands and just accessories that, you know, can get you started. Definitely. Kirk, Mr. Prepared, what do you have to, this week? I'm prepared. Um, in the last episode, I picked a recent book by Alex Soth called I Know How Furiously Your Heart Is Beating. And last week, um, I follow the Martin Parr Foundation on Twitter, and they published an interview with Alex Soth. It's about 20 minutes, Martin Parr sitting on a sofa with uh, Alex Soth. It's called Sofa Sessions. In fact, um, I'll link in the show notes and you can go through and see some of the other Sofa Sessions that they have with other photographers. The reason I think this is interesting is it's very brief and, and Alex is talking a bit about his career and he studied photography and he had these jobs working in museums and photographer in the art world, which sounds a bit pretentious, right? Um, but then for the last six or seven or eight minutes, he's talking about um, his process of portrait photography. And if you remember when I was talking about this book in the last episode, I said how moving I found these portraits, that they were very, very different from the normal portraits. And he talked about how he'd slowed down he's a different approach to getting to know people and taking their pictures. 
And if you take portraits and you just go up to people, say, hey, can I take your picture? Click and walk away. Um, I think it's interesting to listen to someone who's been doing this for a while um, and to hear what he's saying about the fact he talks about how he doesn't want to sort of intrude. So he wants to converse with people, get to know them before he takes pictures. And, and I find it really interesting. It's, it's really short. It's just a few minutes, but there's enough in there to make it worth thinking about when you take portraits as well. That sounds great. Okay, well, then that's it for today. <laughs> I don't have anything more to say. We're, we're a little bit out of sync today, I think, because both of us have been working a lot lately. I, I've been doing a lot of podcasting, and you've been, you know, birthing books and all that. Yes. Um, so I guess that's it. Until next episode, take care. Until next episode, bye. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the end. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. 